Well, uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Marty, I appreciate um, everything that you said and the prayer. And I, how many of you would like to see Marty on a rotation for our, our offering our prayer? Okay. Uh, some people just have the, the gift of prayer. Marty has it. And uh, every time uh, Marty prays for me, I feel like I've, I've really been blessed. And uh, he has that ability just to to do that. And so, praise the Lord. I, I hope that you feel that. Um, we're, we're here uh, to respond to that blessing, to hear from God, to respond to Him. Um, we sang that song earlier, and it came up in this last song too, um, that the names of Jesus that are given in Isaiah chapter 9, um, that he, there's a child that has been born, there's a son that is given and his name will be Wonderful Counselor. Uh, his name will be Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And those names of Jesus uh, call us into the Christmas season. And I thought, well, let's just uh, explore that a little bit more. Uh, there's some more names of Jesus that are given uh, in the Word. And so uh, let me just read a few of them here for you. Uh, he is called uh, the Last Adam. <laughs> the Advocate, the Alpha and Omega, the Amen, the Anointed Preacher, the Author of Life, the Author of Our Salvation, the Beginning and the End, the Blessed and Only Ruler, the Branch, the Bread of God, the Bread of Life, the Child, the Christ, the Cornerstone, the Counselor, David, Son of David, Deliverer, Desired of All Nations, Everlasting Father, the Faithful Witness, the first and last, the firstborn over all creation, the God of the, the glory of the Lord, God, God forever praised, God with us, head over everything, the heir of all things, high priest, the most holy, the holy one, the, the hope of David's throne, the horn of salvation, the image of God, Emmanuel, the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lamb of God, the life, the light of the world, the true light, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the living stone, the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of all, the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords, the Lord our righteousness, maker and preserver of all things, the man, the second man, mediator, Messiah, mighty God, morning star, Nazarene, the one and only, our Passover lamb, priest forever, prince, Prince of Peace, the Prophet, Redeemer, the Righteous One, Rising Sun, the Root and Offspring of David, the Ruler in Israel, the Ruler of God's creation, the Ruler of the Kings of the Earth, the Sacrifice of Atonement, Same Yesterday, Today, and Forever, Savior, Holy Servant, Shepherd and Overseer of our souls, Shepherd over the land, the Great Shepherd of the Sheep, the Chief Shepherd, the Good Shepherd, the Son, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of the Most High, source of eternal salvation, the Star, the Suffering Servant, the Son of Righteousness, the Truth, the Vine, the Way, Faithful and True Witness, Wonderful, the Word, the Word of God, the Word made flesh. His name is Jesus. Amen. His name is Jesus, and He is the long-expected Savior. He's the one that we come to worship. He's the one that we come to meet with. He's the one that we need. He's the one that we're longing for to come back. And he's the reason for Christmas. And 
this Christmas season, um, as we focus our attention on our time and our worship this morning, uh, my prayer is that as we open up Isaiah chapter 9, that we would come to a, an actual uh, sense of what Christmas is really about. Uh, we, we have a lot of distractions. We have a lot of things that are running through our minds. We have a lot of things that we're preparing and planning, a lot of things we're overwhelmed with. Some, some are depressed about, some are worried and anxious about, some are fearful of, some are hopeful of. Our expectations are all over the place. We have all these things that are happening, and, and Jesus says, come and sit at my feet and come into my presence and let me be Lord and rest, okay? And so this morning, we're going to explore a little bit about really who he is, because he is, we all know this, the reason for the season. Amen? So let's stand as we read God's word this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Father, we thank you for your plan, your purpose, your promise, your power, your grace that you extended through Jesus. Lord, you accomplished everything in him, through him, by him, for us. And Lord, we trust in him. We trust his name, we trust his power, we trust his presence, we trust his plan. We thank you that uh, we have him as our Savior. We've longed for him as a Savior. We continue to desire him to come and save this world. And the world needs, <laughs> needs you so much, Lord. We, uh, we look around at the things that are happening, and Lord, we, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come and heal the land. Come and restore things back into a right relationship with you. Come and, and change things. Make them right, uh, Lord. But we know in the meantime, uh, you have given us uh, this time of grace, this time for the word to be spread, the time of the gospel that as many as possible would come to know you for salvation. We, we long for you to come and return, but we know that when you do, it's all over. And those who have not trusted you will not have another chance. And so 
We thank you for the time that we have, Lord. Help us to use it wisely, to know that it is, even though it's an evil day, that it's a time of opportunity, it's the day of salvation, that it's a day for you to work in and through your people to spread the good news of Jesus, that as we celebrate Christmas, Lord, we pray that we would do it um, in a way that is attractive, profound, powerful, um, that would be on purpose. It would be intentional, Lord, that we are worshiping our Savior. And we thank you that we have such a Savior. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah, the prophet, um, prophesied over the course of about 60 years from about 740 to 680, so B.C., counting down to zero, uh, 60 years of prophecy. He's telling uh, the people of his day, this is um, going to span some different things that are going to happen throughout their history, uh, but at the time that we read Isaiah 9, um, Israel, northern Israel's intact, southern Israel's intact, um, the, the temple's still intact, the worship, the, the sacrifices, uh, it's all still happening. And so you back that up um, several years, and King David was about 300 years prior to that. King David defeated Goliath. King David established the kingdom. King David established Jerusalem as the capital. He unified the kingdom. Um, it was powerful. It was, it was uh, uh, the most blessed time. Uh, right after him, Solomon brought in the time of peace, a time of prosperity that had never been seen before. Um, back that up to, you know, 700 years before, or, or 500 years before that, Moses is uh, delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt uh, from slavery and bringing them into the promised land. Joshua actually delivers them into the promised land, and they become the inhabitants of Canaan, which becomes Israel, which is now uh, their, their inheritance from God. And God has, has orchestrated these things for the people of Israel. They are his people. Uh, he's given them the law. He's given them the sacrifices. He's given them kings. He's given them blessings. He's given them land. He's given them his presence. Um, he's shown up in powerful, miraculous ways. Um, all these things have, have happened. And then Isaiah comes about 740 B.C., and he begins to preach a message that is, okay, we, we've received all these blessings and promises from God but we've taken them for granted. We've received the land, we've received the sacrifice, we've received the law, we've received all the things that we need, and yet we're not heartfelt in our worship. We honor God with our lips, but not with our hearts, and He's not pleased. And God is not happy, and He is not going to continue to allow us to stay in the land like this. And there's coming a day when a, a Savior is going to restore and change and renew and, and uh, provide something that all the blessings that we've received up to this point haven't provided for us. And so he begins to proclaim this message. Um, there's judgment and there's hope. There's, there's a challenge. There's also encouragement. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand about Isaiah <clears throat> is that he, like most of the prophets and most of the apostles and many of the Christians throughout the ages, um, 
was doing what we are, we are supposed to do. He was proclaiming the truth of God's word and God's will to his people and to the world, and he was not well received. Um, he, this is the nature of a prophet. This is something that I have um, wrestled with within myself because um, there are different ways that people can be pastors. There are different attitudes and different personalities and different motives and intentions that, that pastors tend to have. Some are very pastoral, loving, compassionate. They are chaplains. They, they surround you with comfort. Um, I'm not that. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, that's just not part of my personality. Um, and sometimes I regret that. Sometimes I think I need to be more like that, but that's just not how I am. That's why we hired Seth. It's, it's, we needed that. There are some who are just strong visionary leaders who say, this is where we're going, this is where we're, we're, we, we're going to be, this is how we're going to you know, change the world, etc. Um, and, and sometimes I thought that maybe that's how I was, and that's not how I was. That's not how I, I am either. I have settled into the reality that I, I am more of the prophet, so to speak. Not like I know the future, but that I am willing to speak the truth, I hope in love, even if it offends people, even to the extent of personal rejection. Now, this is what I believe, that we live in a day, we live in an age where the church has to be willing to be prophetic, okay? Not that we're saying, here's what's going to happen in two years, or here's what's going to happen in five years, but to say, this is what the word of the Lord says, and a lot of people are not going to like it. And in fact, Isaiah preached and prophesied for 60 years, and at the end of his life, he was an old man, okay? 60 years is a long time, and he didn't start when he was born. He started when he was probably in his 20s. So in his 80s, he was martyred in the most vicious, horrible way that you can imagine. He was disemboweled. You've seen the movie Braveheart? The end of the movie? Okay, just picture this is Isaiah as an old man, having been faithful to preach the word, to tell the people, we need to get back to the right worship. We need to honor the Lord. We need to be faithful in our worship. We need to to come close to him in our hearts and not just give him lip service. And over the course of time, the people said, we're comfortable, we're happy, we don't want you to continue this message. And the wicked king Manasseh uh, sawed him in half. And here's the thing is that <laughs> I don't want to suffer. Do you? But I also am more concerned with pleasing the Lord than with pleasing the world. And the church has to get on that page because the world is bringing pressure to you and to me constantly to compromise the word of God to make it easy for everyone. And the truth is that the message of hope is here. The message of grace is here. The message of restoration and forgiveness and the, all the blessings of God, they're all here. But he says that I am a holy God. 
and I want all of you. I want all your heart. I want all your mind. I want all of your life. I want your whole being to come in to fellowship with the Lord. And that means that we don't get to compartmentalize little pieces of our life and little pieces of our opinion, little pieces of what we think is right or what we think the world should be. It means that I bring everything to the Lord and I say, God, it's all yours. Do with it what you will, but I want to please you first. And, and I pray that people will hear that message and respond to it. And this Christmas, okay, you're, you and I are going to be in different situations where we're going to be with family, maybe in times when we're not normally with, with family. We're going to be in, in uh, fellowship with friends, with coworkers, with people that we go to school with or, or other people that we haven't seen in a while. And we're going to be in these scenarios where we need to just be Christians in those scenarios. And that doesn't mean that you're pounding people with the Word of God and you're trying to beat them up with, with morality. I'm just saying that let's not lose our Christian faith when we walk into those situations and compromise with people that don't believe what we believe. Let's speak the name of Jesus. Let's be Christians. Let's love the Lord. Let's love people, but let's do it authentically so that when we step out of those situations, we can actually feel like I had a purpose in being there other than just fulfilling a, a duty to the people that expected me to, to be at that dinner or be at that party or be at that celebration. Amen? The, the prophet Isaiah is going to begin to share a message that is going to go back and forth, back and forth between judgment and hope, judgment and hope. And he says this, that there will be no more gloom for who who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. What that is is Galilee. Okay, it's the northern part of Israel. Right after Solomon, um, his son Rehoboam became king. Uh, Rehoboam was a little bit foolish, but he was also um, paying for his father's sins in a way. Solomon had married like a thousand women, and he had built um, temples to these gods, and, and uh, God said, I, I'm, that's, not, <laughs> that's not how I want it. But because of David, I'm not going to punish you, but your son's going to pay for that. And so in, during Rehoboam's time, the land split northern and southern Israel. And for the rest of its history, it was split between northern and southern Israel. And northern Israel never had a single godly king in all of its history. So um, over time, finally, uh, what happens is that God brings a judgment to northern Israel. And the judgment is the Assyrians. The Assyrians were not a godly people. Uh, they were uh, a, a wicked people. In fact, they were a horrifically um, aggressive, violent people. And their war tactics were the things that create nightmares in people. Okay? I can't even describe the kinds of things they would do to the people that they conquered. They, they, they used fear tactics in such a way that people didn't even want to fight them. But they were taking over the world. And in this time, this is around 715, it's about 15 years before this is going to happen, uh, around 700 is when the Assyrians finally conquer northern Israel and they disperse them around the world and they bring other people into northern Israel and it, it becomes Samaria. 
the Samaria that we understand from the New Testament. First judged and also first blessed. In this land, Zebulun, Naphtali, Nazareth is in Zebulun. Nazareth is the hometown of Jesus. Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, they were in Bethlehem. They went to Egypt. They came back. When they found out who was king, they went to Nazareth. And they lived there from the time that Jesus was about three years old or so um, until he was grown up, until his ministry began. He begins his ministry. He begins to prophesy. And here's what's fantastically you know, profound about that. Jesus, who is the Savior, the one that is going to bring the, the truth and the light and the salvation and the miracles of God, his hometown of Nazareth, which is in Zebulun, does not receive his message. And so what does he do? He goes to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, uh, he begins to make that his home base. This is where Peter lives. Um, he probably stays with Peter and his family. That is in Naphtali, Zebulun and Naphtali. Jesus does almost all of his ministry in Zebulun and Naphtali, preaching the word, healing people, um, miracles like feeding the 5,000, all the things that you see uh, are happening there. He goes to Jerusalem on these little trips, stays there for just a little while, and then he goes back to Galilee. And so Galilee gets the bulk of the ministry of the Savior. First judged, first blessed the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness over them, light has shone. The light of the world has come to Zebulun and Naphtali. It's Jesus Christ. He multiplied uh, the nations. You have increased its joy because they're overjoyed. There are thousands of people are gathering around Jesus for miracles. They want to be healed from sicknesses. They, they, when he feeds people, they come in droves and they say, we want more of this. And I think, and this is just personal opinion here, and I don't know, but I think that being in the presence of Jesus, hearing his voice, hearing his teaching and his message, even if you didn't really understand it, there was something about it that drew you to want to hear more. And let me say this. Um, there are people here today, perhaps, re watching or listening, that are hearing the Word of God, and you may not understand it. You may even have something in you that's kind of like pushing against it, but there's something that keeps drawing you back because you, you know there's some truth in it. There's some meaning to it. There's something about it that is drawing you to the Lord, and that's the Holy Spirit calling you. There were people in Jesus' day that didn't quite get it, but they got enough to know that what he was offering is what they needed. And I believe that after his resurrection, when the apostles began to spread the truth of the gospel and to clarify the resurrection and the, the power of Jesus and who he was, these were the first people to say, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Something about that was calling me. I didn't know what it was, but now that the Holy Spirit is available, there's something uh, more powerful and prominent and present about coming into faith that now I know all the things I didn't understand, now I get it. And there's something in us that has to, at some point, say, I'm going to stop wrestling and I'm going to let God just take over. Because what we're doing a lot of the time 
is we're challenged by the things of God's word because our life doesn't really line up with what he's saying. And we think that I got to hold on to my life as it is. And, and if God's going to say these things about how I'm supposed to change, then I don't really want that, but I know that I need to. And so we're trying to hold on to both worlds at once. And one of them's got to let go. And we got to let go of the thing that is causing us distance between us and God, which is you controlling your life. Are you really in control of your life anyway? You get to be a little bit older, you get to realize, man, I did not have a handle on much. (laughs) And it's a good thing when God's in control. The light has dawned, people are beginning to get it, uh, but it's like the days of Midian. He's broken the rod of the oppressor as in the days of Midian. Now, here's what's happening here. Uh, Go back to Judges chapters 6 and 7. This is the the Midian story. It was to them um, as familiar as if I were to say 9-11 to you. Like, we know what that means. We don't have to have a history lesson on it. We know the terrorist attack uh, on 9-11, what it was, what happened, how it all played out. When they said Midian, they knew exactly what was going on. This is the story of Gideon, who God had called to be a judge and to deliver the people from this oppressive people that had come in like locusts. They swarmed into northern Israel, okay? Northern Israel. It's funny how these things continue to line up, but they had come in and droves in thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, and they just began to gobble up all the resources, all the, all the, the, the wheat, all the animals, all the, the produce, all the crops, everything. They just came in, and like there was nothing left, and the people were, of, of Israel were just like, we can't survive like this. When God approaches Gideon, he is... Uh, threshing wheat in a wine press. He's trying to hide the little that he has from the people uh, that would come and steal it. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about the whole story, but the whole story is this, that finally Gideon gets 32,000 soldiers of Israel to go against the Midianites, hundreds of thousands of people. And 32,000 against hundreds of thousands doesn't seem like much, but God says it's too many. It's too many. Um, get, Get rid of some of these guys. And he gives them process to get rid of some. So they got down to 10,000. 10,000 against hundreds of thousands still doesn't seem like a fair fight, but God says it's too many. And so he gets down to 300 soldiers. And they bring into this battle uh, a a jar, a uh, torch, and a trumpet. So it sounds like pretty fierce you know, battle attire. (laughs) We're going to go up against hundreds of thousands of people with these things. And so they surround the camp, and uh, they break the jar, they hold up their torch, and they blow their trumpet, and they, they yell, uh, for God and for Gideon. And then they don't do anything. <laughs> and the Midianites just go crazy with fear, and they kill each other. In the days of Midian, when God is going to break the oppression 
the rod of oppression, the staff of affliction. What's, what's happening is God is going to do something through Christ suddenly, unexpectedly, and by himself. He's going to destroy the power of sin in a single act. When he steps into this creation in a human form, what's going to happen is he's going to sacrifice himself on the cross, destroying the hold of sin in people's life if they'll just trust him. Suddenly, unexpectedly, by himself, he does it all. All we do is trust him for it. Now, the other thing that happens here is that the people didn't understand. It was so sudden and so unexpected and so outside of what they thought would happen that they didn't grasp the weight of it till later. And so his own people, Jesus' own people, crucified him, not understanding that they had just come into the presence of the long-expected Savior. So here's what continues. Every boot for the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire, pointing beyond the first coming of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus, that he's going to return and he's going to destroy war forever. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. This is his human nature. A child is born. This is God is going to bring a Savior through humanity. To us, a son is given. This is his divine nature. He's the son of God, and it's given to the world for the salvation of the world. It says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The term uh, wonderful, a lot of times we put that with counselor, and we make it like this adjective for counselor, that he's a wonderful counselor. That's not probably what that means. Uh, there's a connection here that traces back to uh, Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13, how many of you know that's the story of Samson? Nobody knew that. Okay. Bible quizzes are going to be uh, given out next week. <laughs> story of Samson, and uh, what happens is that we have a bunch of connections that are, that are being placed into God's Word because God's mind is so infinitely more complex and, and powerful than ours that he, he can weave stories together without us even understanding and knowing what's going on. He says, to us, a, a, a child is born, a son is given. This is a miraculous birth. And he points back to this name, Wonderful. And in Judges, we have a miraculous, wonderful birth of Samson that was uh, given to his parents as a promise and a prophecy. And this, the father here, Manoah, he, he doesn't hear from the, uh, the angel at first. The wife hears. And so he wants to hear from the angel. Now, here's a, a couple things that are happening. The angel of the Lord, whenever you see that in the Old Testament, some believe, and I'm one of them, that this is a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's eternal. He's existed forever. And he actually comes and he presents himself in different stories as the messenger of God, telling the people of God the things of God. Okay? And here is the angel of the Lord talking to Manoah, telling him about Samson, who's going to deliver the people of Israel from their bondage in this story. 
And he says, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? You say, well, that's interesting. And then you turn over to Revelation chapter 19, and it says this in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He will be wonderful. His name will be wonderful, which means it is too profound for the human mind to comprehend. Even in our resurrected, eternal, glorious state, I don't think our minds are still capable of comprehending the name of Jesus that is for him alone to know. It's beyond that. There are things about God you can't discover because they're, they're, they're so far beyond our comprehension. The Bible says that as his ways are, are above our ways, his thoughts above our thoughts, like the heavens are above the earth. How far is that? How far is that? How, how far is the end of space? The end of the universe. How far is that? We have no idea. To us, it is infinite. It, it might as well, and it, it, who knows, it could be infinite as far as we know. This is how far God's ways are. His thoughts are above ours. They're so far. This is the name of Jesus. This is who he is. He is so far beyond our comprehension. There are things that he reveals about himself to us that we can know, and there are things about him that we will never know because he's God and we're created. His name is wonderful. His name is Counselor. Um, how many of you know that uh, God doesn't need your advice? How many of you are pretty persistent in giving God your advice and pretty insistent that he really does need my advice because things just aren't going the way I think they should go? And, and, it, and here's, here's what I, I need you to understand from Scripture is that God calls us, invites us, he compels us, he, he actually commands us to bring our requests to him. Don't hesitate to bring your request to God. Don't, don't fear that you can't do that or shouldn't do that or that he's upset with you for doing that. He wants you to bring every concern of your heart, every thing that you're anxious about, everything you're fearful of, every question you have, he wants it all brought to his throne. So there's, we have confidence to bring these things to the throne of grace because he is a gracious God. Amen? But he doesn't need your counsel because he knows everything. And he knows you better than you know you. He knows what you need. He knows what your life needs. He knows how it's all going to work out. And here's what I would say if I could just give you just a little bit of counsel on this. 10% of your prayer should be your request and 90% should be asking for God's will. What, what do you want, God? What's your will? Give me wisdom. Help me to understand your word. Help me to apply it to my life. Help me to be the person you want me to be. Forgive me for the things that aren't right in me and help me to be more Christ-like. Help me to know you better so that I can represent you better. Fill me more with your Holy Spirit so that I can be empowered to be a spiritual 
person in unspiritual places. When, whenever I step into places that are not godly places, I, I try to remind myself, I'm not always good at this, but I try to remind myself that I am a spiritual person stepping into a place that I have power even though nobody might understand that or see it or be impacted by it, but I have no fear of stepping into anywhere that needs my presence. And when you step into your school or you step into your home or your workplace or into a family gathering or a gathering of friends or whatever it might be, you remember that the Holy Spirit in you causes you to be a spiritual person that can walk into an unspiritual place and make a difference. And here's the, the problem is that we're walking as little lights into dark places. And we need to shine a little brighter. The counsel of God in me, you know, as he reveals his will is that I'm calling you to be a reflection and a representative of me to these places. So, yes, God, change that place. And we pray for our schools. We pray for uh, our community. We pray for our friends and our family that need to know the Lord. God, please do that. But he has positioned you to be the person to help them to know who he is. That's his will for your life. Okay. His name is Counselor. His name is Mighty God. I don't know that that needs a lot of explanation. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He is Mighty God. He is the exact representation of God on the earth. He is the glory of God revealed. Okay? He is Mighty God. He is Everlasting Father. That sounds like a lot like Mighty God. And let me tell you that in Isaiah's day and throughout Jewish history, they did not refer to God as Father. It was, they didn't have that personal name or connection with God. And what happens is that when Jesus comes, he calls God Father because God is his Father. And what he allows those who trust in him is the ability to actually have God as your Father because you become a brother and a sister with Christ because he puts his Spirit in you. And then that changes your family relationship with God. Before that, God was not your father, not in a relational sense. He was simply your creator. But when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he came to live in you, then your position with God changed and now you could call God father. And so this is going to offend somebody, but the reality is this. Only those who know Jesus can call God father. He says... There's only one way to the Father, that's by me. Why is that? It's because God's not your Father until you're a brother or sister with Christ. Everlasting Father, in this sense, means creator. He's the, he's the Father of eternity. He's the one who made everything. And what we see is John explains this a little bit. He says, John chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So if it's made, if it's created, it's through Jesus, okay? He is not a created being. He is the creator of all things that are made. 
In Colossians chapter 1, uh, 15 says this a little bit in more detail. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. So basically, he's the person of God that we can see with our eyes. Otherwise, God is invisible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So wonderful thing about Jesus is that when you come and, and you put your faith in him, you understand that you have now found your purpose to exist. One of the tragedies of our day and our generation is that um, so many people have no idea why they are here on this earth. Our, I believe our young people are struggling, not just with identity because of the world's toxic communication about trying to figure out who you are. It's because outside of a relationship with God, we don't know what we're doing here. Atheistic philosophy comes to a, a logical conclusion. If there is no God, there is no reason to live. When we believe in God, when we understand our relationship with God through Jesus, what happens is we begin to understand, I'm here for a purpose. I was made in his image. He cares about me. He has a plan for me. He wants to bring me safely into eternity to live with him forever. And while I'm here, there's something I'm supposed to do that's meaningful. Outside of that, I have nothing. I can try to be happy. This is why people who don't know the Lord a lot of times are struggling to figure out how to be you know, active in the community. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to volunteer my time at, at, you know, with the, saving the whales or helping the homeless or giving food out. And those are fine things to do. Do them. But they will never fill the void that only God can fill because He made you. And until you come to that conclusion, you're always going to be struggling to figure out why you're on this earth. He made you in his image, for him, he is the father of eternity. He is the everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. Prince of peace means this. The world will never have peace until Jesus returns. And I, I mean, I pray for peace, and, and we should always pray for peace. We should always pursue peace. We should be uh, people who are peacemakers. But what I know is that this world is going to be in constant turmoil until Jesus, the rightful owner, the rightful ruler, comes and he rules and reigns on this earth the way that he is intended to. He will come. And so what we have is a Savior who brings peace to me personally. You have a Prince of Peace. If you trust Jesus, you have a Prince of Peace for you, for your heart that brings peace between you and God. That means that there's no longer any fear of death. There's no longer any fear of condemnation. There's no longer any fear that your sin is separating you from God because Jesus has paid for that. He's changed your nature and he's brought you into a right relationship with God. And he says, you're mine and you're safe and you're going to come to heaven one day when it's your time and you don't have to worry about that. But in the meantime, guess what? That little bit of peace that I have with the Lord does not mean that I'm going to have peace on this earth, okay? I'm not going to. There's, I 
And you and every believer and every human being on this earth is going to face trouble, turmoil, pain, suffering, sadness, loss, sickness, depression, fear, anger, okay? It's around us. We're living in it. And I, what I have is a calm and a confidence and a peace with God that allows me to navigate a world like that, praying for the Savior to return. But knowing, this is so important, knowing that when He returns, that's it. Choices are over. It's done. So in the, in the meantime, this is why we are still here, is because we have to get the message of Jesus out to as many people as possible because it, when, when it's over, it's over. And there's no longer a choice. And there's no longer a path to salvation. This is the day of salvation. That's why it says that to, salvation is today. It's because you don't have tomorrow. And when Jesus returns, all that's done. And so God in his grace, in his wisdom, in his love, in his mercy has given us more time. You ever wonder why it's taking so long? Why isn't he coming back? Why isn't he returning and putting an end to this world? And I have to be careful because I want him to come back. I want him to come back right now. You ever get sick of the world? But how many people do you know that don't know Jesus yet? Are you ready to cast them aside and say, I don't care about them anymore? Because that's, that's what you're asking. Put an end to it, God. Put an end to the sin and the wickedness and the evil. But guess what? There are a lot of people included in, in that phrase that I still love. And I care about and I want to see know Jesus. And so, God, I'm longing for you to return. Jesus, I'm praying for your return, but I'm going to do everything I can in, in the meantime to do what you called me to do. Be a prophet in a world that needs to hear the message of Jesus. Amen? That's your job. Where you go, be a prophet. Speak the truth in love. Tell people about the Savior. This is what Christmas is about. We, we love all the gifts and the food and the celebration. It's about Jesus. He came to save the world. And if you're saved, celebrate. But don't stop there. Help somebody else to know Jesus as well. And Father, we love you. We thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, you bring peace to our hearts that we could never accomplish on our own. There's nothing that we could do to be good enough. And so many of us have tried every way but you and found it empty. It doesn't work. But Lord, we thank you that you change everything. You make the difference that nothing in this world offers, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we long for you, we have you, and yet we still expect you to come again. And so, Lord, I pray this Christmas that you would remind us of our purpose in this world, that we're not here to make people accept Jesus, but we are here to display 
and testify and witness to the goodness and the glory and the wonder and the power of Jesus. I pray that your church would worship you um, this Christmas season in a way that maybe we haven't for a while. Help us to be reminded by Isaiah's message. Their hearts were far from the Lord. Their, their lips would give you service, but, but not their hearts. Lord, help us not to be like that. Um, when we worship, help it to be heartfelt, authentic, sincere. Lord, help us to do what we ought to do. Know you and love you in the way that you deserve. And as we do that, Father, I pray that you would draw other people to yourself. We thank you, Lord, that you're willing to do that. You're willing to use us in that. And we pray that you would in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you this morning, just as the Lord calls, as the Holy Spirit draws you, just to respond to him however he's calling you. Amen? Let's stand and sing.